Before we begin with our prayer of illumination, and I uh, turn it over to Faye Hill, um, first I want to say that we want to pass the peace of Christ as we do each week. So friends, the peace of Christ be with you. We shake hands and we make eye contact from a distance. We don't actually touch each other, but we wave and we, we say, peace be with you. Um, feel free to type that into the chat box as well. Christ's peace. Um, I also want to let you know that today, um, I'm very excited to get to share a gift that we've been given, that I've been given um, as, a, as a pastor in this season of uh, strange, uh, strange times to lead a faith community. Um, a good colleague and friend, Landon Witsit, uh, who is an executor of a synod back east, uh, one of the governing bodies of the Presbyterian Church has offered to create uh, sermon content that is available to any pastors in our denomination to help support in this very busy, strange season. And so Faye is going to read our scripture, and then I'm actually going to turn it over to Landon, who has recorded a video for us for the, the Sunday of Ascension and is going to preach for us this morning. A little bit about who Landon is. Uh, I've been a friend of Landon's for over a decade in ministry. He uh, was part of moderating General Assembly for a while, uh, a few years back, and has continued to be a leader in our denomination, thinking about fresh, lively ways for us to worship God together as we begin to emerge as the church into this new season. One of the ways that some of our uh, elders and deacons might know Landon is that Landon has put together a number of resources on training for church officers, and our church deacons and elders have been watching some of his videos through the Theo Academy, which is an online resource that trains church officers in polity and church confessions, the Book of Order, etc., and so some of you might recognize him from those videos. Uh, I'm very uh, grateful to get to invite him into our homes. He's a good friend, and I, I think we will be in good hands uh, this morning for St. James. And it also gives me an opportunity to sit back and just enjoy someone else preaching for, for a day. Uh, I hope you all will enjoy. I'm going to turn it over to Faye Hill, who will be reading our first scripture from the Psalms and opening us with our prayer of illumination. Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Our Father, may the words of this scripture bring us hope and encouragement. May they light our way when our journey seems dark and long. Through these words, let us be reminded of your constant presence in our lives, even when we are not aware of it. May these words bring us both comfort and call us to action. In your love we pray. Amen. The scripture this morning is Psalm 68 uh, verses 1 through 10 and also um, verses 32 through 35. And I'm reading from uh, the Discipleship Study Bible the New Revised Standard Version. Let God rise up. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be joyful. 
Let them exult before God. Let them be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord. Be exultant before him. Father of orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God gives us the desolate, gives the desolate a home to live in. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a parched land. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain at the presence of God, the God of Sinai, at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Reign in abundance, O God, you showered abroad. You restored your heritage when it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. And then on to verse 32. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, O writers in the heavens, the ancient Heavens, listen. He sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Faye. You're welcome. <laughs> and now I'm going to turn it over to our guest preacher today, Landon Witsit. The sermon is titled, He Opened Their Eyes. Let's hear our message today. Friends, before I begin, I want to thank you for welcoming me into your homes and your worship lives today. I and my colleagues at the Synod of Mid-America are so very grateful to all of those across the church who serve as our pastors. For the last two months, they've been working tirelessly on our behalf, seeking to serve us with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, even as their own lives have been turned upside down. And so we're honored to be able to take one thing off their hands this week. And we would ask you to join us in sending them a note of encouragement or thanks for truly being a steadying presence in our lives during this pandemic. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we are not separate from you nor from one another, even though we may act like it. In your forgiving grace, please prick our hearts and illumine our minds that we might hear a word from you this day. Amen. Our selected reading on this Ascension Sunday comes to us from Luke's Gospel. Friends, let's attend to God's word. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. And may God bless our reading and our hearing of these words for how we live our lives. Amen. You know what I hate? Cliffhangers. Always have, always will. I suspect I'm not alone in this. I mean, who likes to be mentally and emotionally tortured? I'm sure there's some weirdos out there who like it, but I haven't met one of you yet. But cliffhangers are, I admit, a magnificent way of heightening the tension of a story that you're telling. They tell you what's at stake, and they've been used by writers for generations. I think TV has some of the best cliffhangers, and really, it all started with Dallas, didn't it? For those of you who don't remember, Dallas was a nighttime soap opera of the late 70s and early 80s that focused on the Ewing family and their oil business and their ranch. Well, at the end of the season, uh, season three, the show did something that really hadn't been done much before. In what were literally the final seconds of the episode, one of the lead characters, J.R., was shot. And then the credits rolled. That episode aired at the end of March, and the world had to wait eight months before getting an answer to the then ubiquitous question, who shot JR? Eight months. It was a crafty move on the part of the writers, and every TV show since has followed Dallas's lead and ended their seasons with a cliffhanger in some form or fashion. Now, not all cliffhangers are as dramatic as Dallas's. And in fact, most of them are kind of boring, and that's actually why I don't like them. I'll take J.R. Ewing getting shot. I'll accept the reveal that Lost had shifted from flashbacks to flashforwards. I'll relish Hank realizing Walter White is Heisenberg. But if you don't pull that off, and you leave me with a wimpy, huh, I wonder what's going to happen next, then just stop. Just stop, because you failed at the one job a cliffhanger has, and that's to set up the rest of the story. Our scripture reading today from Luke is the gospel writer setting up the rest of the story. Here's the important thing to know about Luke. It's one of two books written by the same author. Biblical scholars have long told us that the same person who wrote this gospel also wrote the Acts of the Apostles, the story of how the church became the church. There's this interesting thing that Luke says at the beginning of the gospel. He says this, Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. I love this. Basically, Luke tells his friend Theo, okay, after reading everything that everybody else produced about the life and ministry of Jesus, I decided they wrote it wrong. Listen to me, I'm gonna set you straight. From the very first moment, Luke has a plan with the story he's telling. He wants to take his friend Theo on a journey, but it's a journey that doesn't stop with Jesus. Interestingly, for Luke, the life and ministry of Jesus serves as a setup for the life and ministry of the church that we read about in Acts. The very verses that we read today are the very last verses of this gospel, and after that, we're into Acts. We're moving on. But like all cliffhangers, this section of the gospel serves its function well by setting up the next scene. Luke tells us that when Jesus showed up there with the disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And what was it that they came to understand? That repentance and forgiveness is to be proclaimed everywhere. This, this is the critical setting up. Jesus going up into the clouds, that's, that's cool, but that's all that it is. Next week on Pentecost, there's, there's a cool thing that happens on that day, right? The tongues of fire. But don't forget that the big thing that went down on that day was a sermon by the Apostle Peter explaining the scriptures to those present, calling for repentance and offering forgiveness. It was this sermon that resulted in 3,000 people becoming a part of the community in one day. And from that day on, oh, from that day on, the people held all things in common. No one was allowed to live in any kind of need. Differences between Jews and Greeks were honored, and they found a way to live together and serve one another and honor one another. Hospitality and welcome became their guiding star. Freedom and liberation and well-being were the church's aim. Those who had been outcasts were no longer looked down on as inferior, but the circle was widened, and a new understanding of what it meant to live together in peace and justice was born, and it all started when Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures. In one of our confessions, a brief statement of faith, we read this. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people's long silence, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. Friends, if the world we're living in is not a broken and fearful one, then I don't know what is. For the last two weeks, our colleagues in the Office of Public Witness and the Committee on the Self-Development of People and the Office of Racial Equity and Women's Intercultural Ministry have hosted conversations laying bare that the COVID-19 pandemic has had an outsized impact on communities of color. We know there are millions who have lost jobs and as a result, healthcare and other means uh, to provide for their families. This world we're living in, this world is a broken one right now. And if we're honest, there's, there's a lot to be afraid of. Will I get sick? Will my loved ones get sick? Will I lose my job? Where's my next meal coming from? For a lot of people, this crisis has triggered depression and anxiety that they thought they had dealt with a long time ago. 
It has been yet one more reason for white privilege and white supremacy to rear its ugly head. This world, this world we're living in, this is a fearful one. And yet our confession says we hold on to the truth that the Spirit gives us courage to do the work. The Spirit we proclaim as the giver and renewer of life gives us the courage to do the work. How? I think it has to do with the last things Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended. He said, you are witnesses to these things. You have seen that God is a good God. We have seen that God is a good God. We have seen that God cares for God's people. It's like the great anthem says, I will sing of God's mercy. Every day, every hour, he gives me power. Siblings in Christ, there is a lot of need right now for repentance and forgiveness. A lot of humanity is not the best version of itself these days. We are more broken and fearful than we'd like to admit. Amen? But we have been witnesses. We've been witnesses. We know who God is. We know that our God cares for us. And we get to be the ones to tell everyone the good news of Christ's grace and peace with our words and with our actions. Amen. Thanks be to God.